today is going to actually take a bit of a different um, way of presenting than usual. So I'm going to start off and I'll give a bit of a message and then Jono afterwards will ask some questions. Um, and anyone feel free to jump on and, um, you know, put your two cents in. So I want to start off today by first thanking everyone for being here today. And if you can hear me, can you put up a thumbs up just so I can make sure you can hear me? Cool. Awesome. So I believe it's really important for us to have regular contact during this isolation time. And I believe that's the case because from the beginning of time, God created us to become relational beings. Um, and this, this want for human friendships and relationships isn't just a want, it's actually a need. And how do we know that? We know that because the Bible said so. If we look at the creation story and you look at it closely, you'll notice something. Um, if we look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, you'll notice God says it's not good for man to be alone. And I want to open your eyes to something you might not have realized before. What's interesting here was that Adam actually wasn't alone. If you notice, Adam had God and he had other animals that he was surrounded with. But God still said it's not good for Adam to be alone. And this is going to test some people's theology here, but I want to suggest to you that even though Adam had a regular relationship with God, and even though he had regular conversation with God, God saw that for him to achieve his full purpose, he needed other people. And I'm sure a lot of very religious people will say, you know, Philippians 4 verse 19 goes, God will supply every need of ours according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. And that's true. And sometimes God will supply our needs directly, like when he, when he provided manna falling from heaven. But sometimes God supplies our needs indirectly through other people. This was the case with Adam, when he supplied Adam's needs of relationship through Eve. So my point is that our fellowship together today isn't just influential on our spiritual growth, but it's essential for us to reach our purpose. So the title of today's message is Uncommon Sense. And I want any of you that have a pen and paper to bring it out, or if you want to open up a Word document, um, and if there's any points that you hear that speak to your heart, I want you to write them down, okay? And this is important because it's much better to learn through instruction than it is to learn through experience. Because experience is the most effective teacher, but at the same time, it's the most expensive one. So it's much better for us to learn things before we've actually experienced them. So today I've been given a word and I hope this word brings blessings to your life. So I just want to start off by praying. Actually, Jono, could you pray for us? Of course, man. Um, Father, we just thank you that we can gather together uh, and unpack part of your word, Lord. Um, and I thank you, Lord, that even though we're physically distant from each other, Lord, we're together in spirit. Um, so just bless our time together, Lord, um, and we thank you that you are in our midst, Lord. Just now I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, John. So I'm excited. I'm really, 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 really excited to share this message with you today. So when I was younger, I read a book by C.S. Lewis, and that book was called Screw Tape Letters. If, has anyone read that book before? If you have, like, put a thumbs up. Yeah? Awesome. So for those of you who haven't read that book, it's a really interesting book. It's about an older, more experienced demon teaching a younger, less experienced demon on how to trick and deceive humans. 
Now, this concept got me thinking, and I wanted to share with you today some examples and techniques that the devil uses to try and manipulate humans and things to look out for um, so we can spot them early. So I'm going to give you three points. Point number one, you can write this down if you're writing notes. The devil will always try and make you question your value and your identity. Now, this is important because this is the devil's go-to move. And we see it because he even used it on Jesus. And let me show you where. If we look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, we see that Jesus gets baptized in the Jordan River. Okay? And it says that a dove descends on him and a voice from heaven says, This is my son whom I love and I'm well pleased. Now, just one chapter later, we see Jesus going into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And what does the devil say to him? Does anyone remember? He says to him, if you are the son of God. Did you catch that? We see Jesus one chapter before being told by God the Father, you are my son. The next chapter, the devil says to him, if you are the son of God. Isn't that interesting? He tries to make him question his identity and who he is. And the devil often does that with us as well. We, we see this again in the story of Adam and Eve. We get to actually eavesdrop on a conversation in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, where God says, let us create mankind in our image, in our likeness. Then we see the devil trying to test Eve in chapter 3, verse 5. Okay? And what does the devil say to Eve? He says, for God knows that when you eat from the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Isn't that interesting? We just read a few chapters before that they're already created in God's image. They're already creating God's likeness. And now the devil's trying to deceive them by saying, if you eat of this fruit, you'll become like God, even though they were already like God. But don't get me wrong. I want to I make sure that you understand being created in God's likeness isn't being God. And I want to explain this concept of being created in something's likeness. For example, a glove is created in the likeness of a hand. A glove isn't a hand but it tries to mirror the characteristics of a hand. The same way us as humans, we try to mirror the characteristics of God, which are love, joy, peace, patience. And this is important. And I want you to write this note down. Because your mindset is where your mind is set. And if we look at the book of Proverbs, chapter 23, verse 7, which is a book of wisdom literature, it states, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And people will always tend to behave in a way that's consistent with how they see themselves. So I want to inform some of you and remind others that the person you've been in the past isn't always the person you have to be in the future. That your history doesn't determine your destiny. And what happened in your past doesn't always have to be what happens later. And we see that in the Bible a lot because Peter will tell you, Jacob will tell you, Abraham will tell you, Gideon will tell you, Moses will tell you, Jeremiah will tell you that there's a you on the inside of you that you haven't even met yet. And God's whole intention is to introduce the old you to the new you. So there's things popping up in the chat. Hey, thanks, Danny. Okay, this is a really important point. God doesn't always want to just reveal to you more of him. Sometimes he wants to reveal to you more of you. 
Now, like we said, how we think influences how we act and how we act influences who we are. And whoever has our ear has our life. This is really important. Whoever has your ear has your life. You cannot live a positive life with negative information. There's a verse in the Bible that says, life and death is in the power of the tongue. I want to give you a practical example. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and after you're talking to them, you start to feel passionate? Or maybe it's the opposite. After you had a conversation with someone, maybe you walk away feeling negative. Maybe you walk away feeling anxiety. And the reason for that is people can actually transfer their mood to you through their words. And that's really important that the things that we say and the things that we hear are consequential to the quality of our life. I want to give you a point. The enemy only came to attack Samson when he was weak. So there's a verse in John chapter 10, verse 10, where it says the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And a lot of people think that's three ways of saying the same thing, but it's not. Because the devil's plan for you isn't always to kill you. The goal of the enemy isn't always to take you out. Sometimes the goal of the enemy is to wear you out. Sometimes this situation you might be in wasn't intended to kill your faith, but did it steal your peace? That last relationship you're in, maybe that didn't end your faith in God, but did it destroy your self-esteem? Did it influence the way you see your value? And that's really important. So that was point one. Point number two, we have three points. So does anyone remember what the first point was? The devil will try to make you question your value and your identity. Point number two. The devil doesn't come into your life with pitchforks and horns. The devil will come to your life as everything you've always ever wanted. This is really, really important. And I want to open your eyes to some revelations that you might not have realized before. When we look in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, the devil came to trick Eve as a snake. But why? It's because as an animal, he wasn't out of place. They were in a garden. They were in an outside environment. And they were in that garden. They were, the garden was filled with other animals. And that's the point. The enemy showed up in a form where he looked like he belonged. The enemy didn't look out of place. He looked like everybody else. The animals around, so a snake didn't look out of place. But if he did look out of place, Eve probably wouldn't have engaged in conversation with him. Now, I remember growing up, I used to always imagine the devil as a guy in red with horns covered in fire. But the devil doesn't come like that. The devil might come into your life like a co-worker that you have a soft spot for while you're married. Or it could be a cousin who encourages you, encourages you to, you know, partake in you know not christian behaviors so that's that's really important in first corinthians um 15 verse 33 it says bad company it says do not be deceived bad company corrupts good habits and that's really important it says do not be deceived because it's possible to be negatively influenced and not even know it now i was reading the book of Adam, uh, the story of Adam and Eve recently, and I actually came upon a realization that I hadn't ever noticed before. So here it is. Eve engages in conversation with a snake. 
she touches the fruit, she takes the fruit, she eats a part of it, and she gives it to her husband. Yeah, we all know that. But there's a detail in verse 6 that you might not have noticed. So a lot of people hear the story of Adam and Eve and they just blame Eve. Eve, what are you doing? You wrecked humanity for all of us. But I want you not to miss this point. A lot of people talk about the story and they emphasize the absence of Adam. Where's Adam? Adam, his wife's talking to a snake. He's not around. Where's Adam? His wife's eating fruit. He's not around. But if we read the verse carefully, you'll notice something. It says this. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave it to her husband. And here it is, who was with her. And he ate it. Oppa. Did you catch that? Who was with her? Now, the issue in the text here wasn't that Adam was absent. The issue was Adam was silent. And that's really important. There's a saying that for evil to succeed takes good men to do nothing. And that's the point here. Okay. The point of this is that it's our responsibility to be vocal when the enemy tries to trick us and tries to trick those around us. Us as the church cannot be silent. Now, I want to give you another point here. The devil will try to make you fulfill your, your legitimate needs in an illegitimate way. This is really interesting. We see this when the devil comes to tempt Jesus. Okay, So Jesus, we know that he's fasting for 40 days. And he was hungry, like any person would be after fasting for 40 days. And what does the devil say to him? Does anyone remember? He goes, if you are the son of God, turn these stones to become bread. Did you catch it? It's very subtle, but did you catch it? If you are the son of God, turn these stones to become bread. First of all, he tries to make Jesus prove his worth when his value and his worth are already secure. We already read it before. It said, this is my son whom I love and I'm well pleased. Second of all, he tries to make Jesus have a false start to his ministry. We know that Jesus' first miracle was when he turned water into wine in the wedding of Canaan. So at this point, Jesus actually hadn't performed any miracles yet. But as we said before, God the Father said, this is my son who, I'm, who I love and I'm well pleased. So that his value wasn't linked to his actions or his performance, but rather was linked to his obedience and his identity on who he is. This is another one I want the note takers to write down. A blessing in the wrong season can be a curse. Now, getting a promotion is a blessing. Yeah? But... If you're not ready for it, the wait can be a curse. Meeting the person of your dreams is a blessing. But if you're in a season where you haven't found out who you are, it can be a curse. Another point. Not every open, not every open door. Yeah, I did mention that in the previous one, John. Not every open door is a door that you should enter. Okay? This is really important. Okay? Because the devil will try trick us by opening doors in front of us turn this rock into bread he will tell us to open doors but not every open door is a door that you should enter let me prove it to you we see that when moses splits the red sea that was for the israelites not the egyptians so what happened when they tried to go down that path as well they drowned paul and silas were falsely imprisoned and an earthquake happened and the doors of the jail opened but they stayed in the cell they didn't leave because that open door wasn't for them. 
and it wasn't the intended time for them to leave and leave through that door. Because if they did, their ministry wouldn't have continued and they probably would have just been brought back to jail with worse consequences. Now, this story about Jesus being tempted applies to us too, okay? You might be hungry, okay? It might not be specifically for food, like in the case of Jesus, but you might be hungry for affection. You might be hungry for approval. You might be hungry for love. But what are we turning to to satisfy that genuine need? Is it to God's love or is it through money? Is it through status? Is it through fame? Is it through physical attractiveness? The devil will try to make you turn that rock, that thing that isn't meant to feed you. Yeah, He will try to make you turn that rock into the thing that is a source of your nutrition. I don't want you to miss that. The rock isn't meant to feed you, but he's trying to make it your bread. There's a verse in Proverbs 27, verse 7, that says, A person who is full refuses honey, but bitter food tastes sweet to the hungry. And that's another tactic that the devil will use. He'll make you desperate. My third and final point. You with me? Give me a nod if you're with me. Awesome. I know it's kind of content heavy, but I feel like this is um, things that could be big blessings to your life. Third point, the loudest voice isn't always the right voice. I want to share with you a concept called the principle of perspective. Okay, And this concept suggests that where you sit determines what you can see. And what you see determines what you will do. Okay, We can see to the corner. But God will see around the corner. We can see to the hill, but God will see over the hill. We can see today, but God will see tomorrow. You might feel like you're hanging on the cross on Friday, but God can see the resurrection on Sunday. And that is so important. And sometimes God will be doing things that you don't understand why he's doing a particular thing. And what you need to realize is because God's acting based on what he can see not based on what you can see. So maybe the promotion didn't not happen to you because you weren't good enough. Maybe that, maybe that promotion didn't happen because God could see six months down the track, the whole department would be phased out. So in one season, what you called rejection, that's actually protection. I want to share with you another final story. The story of Moses and Joshua. So what's interesting about the story of Moses and Joshua with Israel in the wilderness is that it foreshadows what happens with Jesus with us. So just as Moses and Joshua led Israel into a literal Canaan, God tries to lead us into a spiritual Canaan. Canaan symbolizes a life that God intends for us. Okay. So as Moses um, was getting ready to bring Israel into Canaan, I want you to notice what happens. He selects 12, 12 people, okay, which are from the 12 tribes to go into the land to figure out how they're going to occupy it. Now, Moses had already determined it was possible. And that's important because it's important. One thing for a believer that we need to do as believers, we need to believe. And I think a lot of us sometimes miss that. As believers, we need to believe. As believers, we have to believe it's possible. The scripture says he'll give us peace that surpasses all understanding. Do we believe that? Do we believe that we can have peace within us that surpasses all understanding? You best believe it's possible. There's a verse that says, weeping may endure in the night, but joy comes in the morning. It's possible. 
No weapon formed against us shall prosper. It's possible. When your enemies come before you one way, they'll flee before you seven ways. It's possible. So he sent 12 spies, okay? And they come back to Moses and they say, look, Moses, everything you said about this land, it's true. It's amazing. But there's a problem. There's giants there. And this is important because sometimes for us to reach our blessings, we need to overcome some giants in our past. And they said, Moses, we were like grasshoppers in their sight and in our sight also. But here's my question. How did they know that they were like grasshoppers in their sight? Did they ask them? Did they even see them? Or were they projecting how they viewed themselves upon their enemy? So here it is. The 12 went out to spy upon the land. They came back and they told the millions of people that 10 of them said that we can't do it. Two of them, one called Joshua and one called Caleb, said, let's go at once. We should do it right now. Do we have any Joshua and Caleb in the Zoom chat today? Do we have any anointed optimists, people that refuse to allow their belief system about what people have told them to persuade them to go into stagnation? So when you have the Joshua and Caleb attitude, you don't let people tell you what you can't do just because they believe it can't happen to them. Israel, the millions of people allowed the perspective of 10 to inform their belief system. Emotionally, they got filled with fear and they engaged in fearful behavior that they didn't even try. And what was interesting here was that it was a fixed fight. They were guaranteed to win if they had tr just tried. So this is my final point and then we'll kind of do a little bit of discussion with me and Jono here. Um, the enemy will intimidate you to try not even try for the blessings that God's got prepared for you. There's a saying that God's preparing you for what he already has prepared for you. All of Israel allowed the 10 to influence their belief system. So sometimes following the majority isn't always right. Just because everyone else is thinking that way doesn't mean us as believers should be thinking that way. And that's what they did. They valued the voice of the 10 the same way they valued the voice of the two. And that can happen with us. Sometimes we take God's words, people's opinion, talk show hosts, TV channels, social media, and we value them all the same way. We take God's word just as another source of information for our life. And it stops becoming the belief system that rules over every other belief system. So I want to end by saying this. When the church is silent, the devil is screaming and he's always screaming a lie. And sometimes whoever is heard the most is believed the most. So us as believers, we need to make sure that we don't fall into that trap. So we'll have a bit of a discussion with Jonah and I want people to chime in and, you know, put in their two cents if they're happy to be on YouTube. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. That was, um, that was really good. God bless you, man. Um, I guess the, the thing, just going with the last theme that you were talking through, um, I see a lot of it in where we're at at the moment, which is uh, the 10 spies went into Canaan mm. and they naturally felt fear. Like mm. these were people who for the last 40 years were wandering the desert 
all of them hadn't seen what God had done in Egypt. So for them, their experience of God, a lot of it was hearing stories from their parents. And these were not warriors. These weren't, um, these weren't, you know, this wasn't a highly developed civilized society of warriors and chariots and swords. Um, and they went into Canaan and they saw these big tall walls and these big strong men and well-developed um, weaponry and their natural response, which I can empathize with is fear. Mm. And I guess what Caleb and Joshua saw instead was God's promise over and above the fear that they felt. So I guess my question for you, um, like in this current environment is how do we trying to live faithfully as, as followers of Jesus, how do we deal with our own fear? Well, I love that question, John. Thank you. I think God, this is where God does his best work. Okay. And I want to give you a few examples of that. We just had Easter recently. And when Jesus went to pick uh, an animal to ride into Jerusalem, do you remember what he picked? A donkey. Sorry, I had myself on you. Oh, good. Yeah, pick the donkey. And you would think that a king would ride in on a horse. Yeah. But what was interesting is he picked a donkey and not just any donkey. If you read the passage, you'll notice that it was a donkey that had never been ridden before. Yeah. And what's the importance for that? It means this donkey wasn't broken in. It wasn't tamed. It wasn't the well-groomed, you know, um, animal that you would expect. It was an untamed animal. And God will often use um, people that don't necessarily have to have everything together in their life to do his purpose. And another thing that's really important, and I feel like that what the enemy will do in this time, he will try and make us forget the blessings. Yeah. And we see that constantly throughout the Bible. We see the um, Israelites. Yeah. Just a few chapters before there were slaves. Yeah. There were slaves in Egypt. And then when they're in the wilderness and the wilderness represents a time of uncertainty, when they're in the wilderness, so quickly did they forget how bad their slavery was. So quickly did they forget how all their blessings are like, let's go back to Egypt. It's better to become slaves. And I think in times of uncertainty, it's really important for us to refocus and realize all the blessings that God is actually doing in our lives. And what do you, what do you say? Like, as though, um, you know, in, a, in that time of fear, you're looking to God's promises, to God, God's blessings. Are there any in particular that, that you look to as we're sort of heading into this, you know, we've been here for a, a fair amount of time now, but we're seeing across the world um, a lot of people dying, society changing in profound ways, um, people out of jobs, the economy sort of rapidly spiraling downwards in, in circumstances like that, how do you look beyond the circumstances and see God's promises? Like what, what do you, what do you sort of look to? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think times of testing aren't always bad. Yeah. There's a saying that says you don't go to the next level, you grow to the next level. And that's really important as well. Um, I think what's really important in this time is for us to stay positive. Yeah? The, the person that has your ear has your life. And it's really important for us to always remember 
the blessings that God's given us, even in this time of the coronavirus. Like, look at us here. We're spending time in fellowship together, even though all of this is happening on the outside world. What would you say, John? What would you say? Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I, 100%. I think, I think even in this season, there are a lot of blessings, definitely. Um, you know, and I think, I think the deeper... Um, so like looking at, looking at that story of Caleb and Joshua heading in, um, the reality is God already had the victory. That's it. And, and they were focused on their circumstances, but God already had the victory. And I guess in the same way, maybe the way that we think about things, we're thinking about victory and defeat in the wrong terms. Mm. Um, and that God already has the victory. And what do I mean by that? I mean, no matter what, no matter what happens over the next one to two years, how easy it is to, you know, go to a restaurant and enjoy it or spend time physically with friends and enjoy that. Despite all of that, we have Jesus who loved us, who is in relationship with us, um, who is the source of our peace like you said, that transcends all understanding and continues to be a source of love that we can share with each other. Um, and like we've seen people really step up in the community in their expressions of love, like very generous donations to people who are on the front line um, and in a lot of ways bringing out the best of humanity. So maybe like the things that we think about as as what victory and defeat looks like in the same way as like the Israelites heading into Canaan. Um, we're thinking about it in the wrong terms and we need to sort of re rethink some of it. That's it. But yeah. We, uh, when we go into our breakout rooms, I think that's something we can, we can unpack quite a lot. Mm. I guess. Anyone... No, go ahead. I guess another question that I had, um, so you're talking about how uh, there are times in our lives where this opportunity or this change happens, uh, this opportunity presents itself, this change happens, and we might in that moment think it's a blessing, we might in that moment think it's a curse, and with time our perspective might change as we sort of figure out the jigsaw puzzle a bit more. Um, and I guess specifically talking about times where you think something's a blessing, but later you realize actually this was a curse. Yeah. My question is, you know, can you think of any early warning signs to that? Is there a way that we can prevent that? Do you have any examples in your own life? Yeah. Definitely. I will probably, I'll flip it. There's been times in my life and I've shared this with some people before where things seemed like a curse in one season, but were actually a massive blessing in another one. Um, and I remember when I had just finished year 12 and I was applying for jobs. And I remember bringing in my resume and I remember dropping it in at every single shop in Endeavour Shopping Centre. I remember dropping it at Macca's in Gloria Jeans in Nonny B. I remember that one very clearly. <laughs> And I remember not a single one of them would um, accept me or even give me a call back. And I was mind blown. I was like, you know, when Mac is doesn't, when Mac is doesn't give you a job, that's it. Just like go home, bro. Just get on job seeker. Um, but 
at that time I was really upset. I was like, is there something wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Why can't, why can't I get employment? But what I noticed is that straight away after it, um, when I got into uni, I was given the job that I'm actually in now and that actually ended up being the rest of my career. And if I had taken one of those jobs, I probably, knowing my personality, wouldn't have quit it because I'm the kind of person that wouldn't want to quickly quit a job after being in it for one month. So, you know what? At that time, I was upset that I wasn't given the opportunity. But I realized that God was actually protecting me um, in the long term. So, yeah. That's awesome. And I, yeah, and I think it is so important to praise. And it's so important to praise in times where things don't haven't been resolved yet or are still resolving. Um, there's an example in the Bible of a parable. And it wasn't a parable, it's an actual story where Jesus heals these bunch of lepers. Yeah. And he tells them, go to the priest to get healing. And it says, as they're walking to the priest, they get healed. So sometimes it's it's the process of walking on that journey that we need to actually go on that journey to receive the blessing. But what's interesting is that one of them turns around, yeah, halfway through that journey and comes back to Jesus and thanks him, yeah? And he goes, thank you for healing me. And what does Jesus say to him? He goes, weren't there another nine people with you? And what's important is that this person, this one leper, started praising God even before he had got to the, his final result, to before he got to the end of the destination, yeah? So we might be waiting to praise God by the time the coronavirus ends, mm. you know? Thank God that's in, it's finished, God did it. But we shouldn't be waiting to the end. While we're on this journey, we should be praising him for what he's doing. That's awesome, man. That's really profound. Um. Other things that jumped out at me, um, you're talking about how evil company corrupts good habits uh, wow. where, um, you know, there are situations where part of the way that um, the enemy tries to disrupt someone's life is through other people. Wow. And I guess, I guess the question that might come into some of our minds is, how do we know that we're not that person that's being that evil company to someone else? How do we, how do we make sure that we're not the ones influencing other people um, in a bad way or, or giving them bad advice or leading them down a wrong path? Yeah. I want to, I want to, I'll answer this question, but I want to open up to the floor if anyone has a perspective on this as well. Maybe not. It's really important that when we're giving advice that we are first listening to what God is saying. When we look at Job, when he was in his really difficult times, yeah, Job's friends, first of all, sat with him and they spent the first couple of days and they didn't say anything. Yeah. And they sat there and, and they listened. Um, and it's important when our friends are going through difficult times, are we letting them talk? Are we letting them finish talking? Are we hearing their actual problem or are we just throwing them solutions? Because sometimes our role isn't just to solve people's problems. Yeah, Sometimes they just need fellowship. And fellowship is healing in itself, just being with people. 
Um, and it, there's another verse that says, in the magnitude of, um, you're helping out with this one, magnitude of believers comes wisdom or like, I don't know the verse. In the multitude, uh, there is safety. Yes. If you repeat that again, because in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. Yes. In a multitude of counselors, there's safety. And that's really important that we are, uh, when we're giving advice to get uh, opinions, not as gossip, but as um, constructive um, wisdom to our loved ones. And we're going to come through this in our life. It's really important. Yeah, 100%. Do you think that there's times where someone who can be generally, you know, walking down the right path, um, genuinely trying to do uh, the best that they can, can be sort of used in a, in a negative way in someone else's life? And, and what are the ways that you can try and sort of prevent that or or the early warning signs of that, that happening. Mm. That's a really good point. I think it takes constant self-reflection as yeah. well. That's really, I feel like our truth will be our truth, but we need to realize our, our truth, God's truth, our, our truth, the actual truth. Um, and it's not with any malice that we might be acting in a particular way. Everyone is trying to act in a way which is consistent with what they believe is true. But I think it's really important that we're looking back and seeing is what we believe align with God's word. Mm. That's really important. Mm. Continuous self-reflection, being close to God. Yeah, respect. Um, another really interesting sort of theme that you, that you raised up is um, often temptation doesn't just consist in like doing something evil. Um, mm. It's not like you just get an impulse to do something evil. Mm. The impulse is often you have a legitimate need, a real human need, and there's a way to satisfy it that sort of falls short of what God's will and ways for that specific need would be. Mm. Um, and that's how we sort of fall into sin. That's yeah. That's, uh, you know, certainly like consistent in, um, in what we see in the temptation of Jesus. And I guess my question is, what do we do when we feel like we have a legitimate need, but we can't really find a legitimate way to satisfy it? What do you say to um, the person who has a legitimate need for food, but finds that they can't afford any and no one's giving any out. And so the temptation is to steal or to the person who, um, you know, has a temptation or has a legitimate need um, for romantic and sexual intimacy um, and finds that they can't fulfill that in a wholesome way and then resorts to something else. Yeah. What, what do you say to the people who feel like they have a legitimate need, but they can't seem to meet it? in a legitimate way. Yeah. I would suggest to them, be patient and don't compromise. Because um, there's a verse that says, God works for good for those who love him. And you know what, John? No cap. This is, can happen to many of us, Jimmy. Like if we, it's really easy to compromise. We might be like, okay, I haven't found a partner yet. I might go and be unequally yoked yeah 
be with someone who might be of a different religion. Yeah. And that in itself will satisfy your need for companionship. But is it the is it what the maximum God wants for you? Or are we compromising? So I would suggest to that person, don't compromise yet. Pray fast and and see, are you compromising or is there more that God's got in store for you? I guess it takes a lot of strength and discipline to resist that like compromise, right? A compromise, it's a quick fix. It's an easy fix. Um, in your own life, is there anything you can sort of draw on and say, this is, this is what I, this is my, like when I'm feeling that temptation to compromise, this is the thought or this is the thing that sort of gets me through that? Wow, good question. I think it comes back to realizing your value and realizing your identity. Yeah. Um, there's, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if I actually mentioned this in the talk, but there's a, there's a saying that God doesn't always want to just reveal to you more of him. Sometimes God wants to reveal to you more of you. Mm. Yeah. And sometimes in life, we will view ourselves as not enough. Yeah. Mm. And then that's the kind of thing that will make us compromise. But it's really important that we look at our value the same way God looks at us. Yeah. And that's, it's really important just to take a step back and see, are my actions, what I'm doing, really the value that God has given me? Or have I been deceived into seeing myself as, you know, less than we actually are? Are we seeing ourselves like grasshoppers in the eyes of giants? Hmm. So when, when you go to any situation in life, whether it's relationships or financially or work or whatever, ask yourself, what is your value? Yeah. What's your potential? And are you genuinely being fair to your value? Yeah. I guess a really practical way of thinking about that is to ask yourself in that moment, am I, or do I want to be the sort of person who does X, you know? Um, do I want to be the sort of person who gossips about their friends behind their back when you ask yourself that question and it'll help you in the moment say, well, no, I don't want to be that sort of person. So I'm not Mm going to do it. Yeah. Um, Do I, am I that person? Do I want to be that person? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's, um, that's again, really profound. Thanks for joining